0: I want to ask you a question as we begin tonight, and that is, do you ever compare yourself to others? Do you ever compare yourself to others? And when you do, how do you rate by comparison? Psychologists say that we make comparisons with others in order to figure out how we measure up. That's because we basically feel insecure in how we're doing as adults, as students, as employees, as spouses, as parents, as church members. And people all have very different standards for defining success. For example, I think my parents thought they were doing a stellar job raising the five of us boys as long as the police didn't show up at the front door. Today's generation of parents, they are enrolling their children in all kinds of sports and after-school clubs and travel teams and music lessons and driving them to play with other kids and, and, and all the while thinking that they probably have taken parenting to a new level compared to what they experienced as kids. And then the, the grandparents come along and they observe this And then they say, looks like the children are running the family. The parents don't allow any time for just downtime or time to be a couple. It's all focused on the children. And each group judges the other group, feels superior. Comparisons. Sometimes we make comparisons with our peers, don't we? We compare our looks, our bank accounts, our salaries, our children, our marriages, our vacations, our possessions, even our walk as followers of Jesus Christ. And when we compare ourselves with others who are not doing as well as us, what psychologists call the downward comparisons, we usually come out ahead. And the result is often feelings of pride, superiority, maybe even arrogance. And when we compare ourselves with those who appear to be doing better than us, what psychologists call the upward comparisons, we end up finding ourselves lacking. And that makes us feel inferior and even more insecure. Combine that with social media, and there's a lot more of this unhealthy comparison-making. And it's no wonder, really, why the incidents of anxiety and depression have skyrocketed across our country. Because people always put their best foot forward on social media. And so it looks like we, we are somehow not measuring up if we're not taking our kids to Hawaii and climbing Mount Everest or whatever is there. Uh, Now, when you're talking with people in a conference call, you can change your virtual background, right? So suddenly I'm talking with somebody who looks like they're on a beach and I don't know where. Uh, And in fact, they're just sitting in a closet somewhere at home. Ash Wednesday calls us to a very different type of comparison. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word as we look into it tonight. We pray that your spirit would be working in each one of us as we begin this journey of the Lenten season toward the cross. We invite you as our most honored guest tonight to speak to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled tonight's message um, a heart checkup as we begin the Lenten journey. Ash Wednesday calls us to a very different type of comparison. Instead of making those horizontal comparisons with our peers, with those that we feel inferior or, or superior to, God calls us to compare ourselves vertically. And by that, I mean to him and to his standards. And that's a very different experience because that's the only way that we can accurately see ourselves as we truly are. And so as we do that, we reflect on our attitudes, our actions, our priorities, and we turn back to God through confessing our sins once we're made aware of them, and asking Him in His mercy to forgive us. As Pastor Chris mentioned, Ash Wednesday is the beginning of a 40-day journey of intentional preparation as we examine our hearts, our minds, our behaviors, so that we come to a place of readiness to celebrate once again the death and resurrection of Jesus. How many of us will go to worship this evening have ashes placed on our foreheads, and think the task is done. But God reminds us through the prophet Joel that our responsibility is more significant than that. God says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your clothing. The importance lies in our turning back to God, bringing to him everything in our hearts that separates us from him, and yes, perhaps fasting and mourning and weeping as we consider our attitudes and actions of the past. God seeks a change in our hearts more than anything else. That's why there's over a thousand times the heart is mentioned in the scriptures. Wesley used to begin his small group meetings by saying, what's the condition of your heart? He didn't do a nice, soft, maybe humorous intro. He just got, he just cut right to the chase. How is it with your heart today? Because he knew that that was the most important thing to God. And so we have to take the time to intentionally reflect on that which separates us from God. To confess that to him, to open our hearts up to his forgiveness and embrace what he wants to do as he brings us back to himself. It begins with the confession, then it moves on to accepting his forgiveness and his grace, right? Right? Actually, we're called to do that every day, aren't we? But especially today on Ash Wednesday. Perhaps you've come tonight and you're feeling disconnected from God, at a distance from Him. You'd say, if you looked at the past month, maybe even as you went through the holidays, that you've been in kind of a desert experience with God. God promises to never leave us or forsake us, but at the same time, we can choose to wander away from him. And other times we get sidetracked or we choose to focus on other things. And so Ash Wednesday is a wonderful opportunity to turn back to God. Perhaps you're here tonight and you're thinking, well, I don't really need to return to God, Brian. I mean, God and I, we're good. I go to church, I do my quiet time, I brought in toothpaste and even deodorant to Community Connect. We're good. And I would say that's great, but let me challenge you tonight. Are you as close to God as you could be? Are you as close to God as you want to be? Or have you allowed the busyness of life and the things of this world to get in the way to come between you and your relationship with God? I challenge you because the truth is that God always wants to give us more. He always wants to give us more. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, do I want more as I come here tonight into the sanctuary? Or have I settled for less? The forty days of Lent invites us to self-examination. It's a journey; it isn't just tonight. It's a journey where we bear our hearts to God, and we we invite Him in to search us and to reveal what's getting in the way of a deeper relationship with Him. It's a journey from darkness to light, of examining our sins in the light of God's holiness of confessing our sins to him, asking him for mercy, forgiveness is received from him, and he restores us to new levels of fellowship and intimacy with him. So what does this journey look like? Well, that's where we turn to our text tonight, which is found in Luke 18, beginning at verse 9. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Jesus tells a parable here of two very different people. But first, let's ask the question, who's the audience? Who's Jesus speaking to as he tells this parable? And verse 9 says it was a group of people who, quote, were confident of their own righteousness. And then it adds that they looked down on everyone else. If we're honest, we might very well see ourselves as part of that audience. We might see ourselves in that description, trusting too much in ourselves, being overly confident of our abilities. We too can be self-righteous at times, and we can look down on others, especially those who are different from us. I know I've been guilty of all those things from time to time, and I'm sure that you have too. Verse 10 tells us, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So what do we remember about Pharisees? Think about that for a moment. People looked up to the Pharisees. They saw them as the spiritual elite of the Israelites. Next to the priests, these were the people thought to be closest to God. They were respected as moral people holy people, who made great efforts each day to obey the requirements of God's law as it was prescribed by Moses. The other man there was a tax collector. Tax collectors were viewed as the lowest of the low by society. They were seen as traitors to their fellow Jews. They collected taxes from them for the Roman Emperor. And they had the reputation of intimidating people, kind of like the person who comes after the delinquent rent, right? Or the utilities. But in addition to that, they had the reputation of getting people to pay extra, charging them extra, so that they could line their pockets with that extra. So as a result, tax collectors were despised and considered to be the people farthest away from God. So Jesus says that these two people, they go up to the temple to pray. Well, what did the Pharisee pray about? Basically himself. He says in verse 11, God, I thank you I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. What word would you use to describe the Pharisee's prayer? Proud? Superior? Arrogant? Remember, he's well-respected. He's viewed as a holy man of God. He did all the religious things that a person was supposed to do, and then some, at least outwardly. Well, next comes the tax collector, except so he doesn't get very far into the temple, right? He's standing at the back. He's standing at the back. He didn't even dare to enter. And when he prayed, he didn't look up toward heaven. His eyes were to the ground. And his prayer was the exact opposite of the Pharisee's prayer. It was shorter, too. <laughs> God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In other words, God, I'm a mess. Help me. What word would you use to describe the tax collector's prayer? His attitude. How would you describe his attitude as he prayed? Humble? Honest? Self-effacing? God says through the prophet Isaiah, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble. I revive the courage of those with penitent hearts. Peter said something similar. He said, all of you clothe yourselves with humility because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Now notice in the story that forgiveness is offered to both these men. Okay? But only the tax collector received it. Why? Well, David said in Psalm 51, the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So the tax collector is a picture of the start of our lenten journey tonight. A picture of what this journey from darkness to light looks like. The Pharisees the exact opposite. Max Lucado tells the story of a young boy that he met on an airplane trip he was taking. The little boy was sitting in the seat next to his. And he needed extra care and attention. He said, Hi, I'm Billy Jack. I'm going home to see my daddy. And before Max Licato could introduce himself, Billy Jack said, I need someone to look after me. I get confused a lot. Billy Jack needed help, and he knew it. Max Lucado writes, Unashamed of his needs, Billy Jack didn't let a flight attendant pass by without a reminder. Don't forget to look after me when they brought the food. Don't forget to look after me when they brought the drinks. Don't forget to look after me when any attendant came by him in the aisle. Max Lucado thought about that and he said, you know, I can't think of one time that Billy Jack didn't remind the crew that he needed attention. The rest of us didn't. We never asked for help. We were grown-ups, sophisticated, self-reliant, seasoned travelers. Most of us didn't even listen to the emergency landing instructions. I've been there. Billy Jack asked me to explain them to him. Max Ocato went on to say that it occurred to him that Billy Jack was actually the safest person on that flight. If something went wrong, the flight attendants were going to come to Billy, Billy Jack, first. Not because he deserved the most help, not because he was the best behaved passenger on the flight, not because he had listened the most attentively, during the emergency landing instructions. No, it was because Billy Jack was willing to declare that he could not take care of himself. He fully acknowledged his helplessness and he put himself in the hands of someone stronger. Think about it. Isn't that what we do when we come to faith? In Jesus Christ, Jesus made it clear that anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. A person comes to Christ not by making a commitment to obey or by promising to be faithful. No. We come to Christ by declaring that we are helpless to obey. And we are unable to be faithful. Let me say that again. We come to Christ by admitting we are helpless to obey and unable to be faithful. Like a child, we need to declare freely and unashamedly our needs. We recognize that we cannot make it on our own. All our righteousness is what? What does God say? As filthy rags in Isaiah and we cry out for Jesus to save us. Now, traditionally, during Lent, many Christians deny themselves something. In our family, it was bacon. That wasn't too hard to enforce, I guess. Others, it's chocolate. Why do people give up things during Lent? It's a symbol, right? It's a symbol of their desire to repent and turn back to God. It's a time to take stock of our habits and see if there are any habits, anything that has started to pull us away from the Lord, something that's begin, begun to master us, that's just started out by something simple to enjoy. And what I mean by that is that we begin to feel most alive when we're doing that or when we're eating that, or drinking that, or whatever it might be, seeing it, right? And so Lent's seen as a time to deny ourselves certain pleasures so that we can focus more on God and less on ourselves. And these things, along with prayer, traditionally prayer, fasting, and serving, have throughout the centuries been viewed as helpful in our journey to the cross on Good Friday. But as we start the journey tonight, as we start, I would suggest that the first step is to invite God in to help you do a heart checkup. That's why we read those words we started with tonight from Joel. Rend your hearts, not your garments, not your clothing. God is far more concerned with your heart than what you're going to give up during Lent. Lent's a time for us to give up our sinful habits and attitudes, to stand before God just as we are, our hearts exposed, to ask Him to forgive us, to wash away our sin, to empower us to actually turn away from our sins, from our past, and to embrace the new life that He offers us once again. Your Lenten journey begins... With an attitude of honesty and humility. Lent us a time to give up, first of all, hypocrisy. Giving up hypocrisy, acting like a follower of Christ on the outside, but being proud and self centered on the inside, independent. Lent's us a time to give up our duplicity, acting like a Christian on Sundays but behaving like an unbeliever at points during the week. Lent's a time to give up laziness and apathy, no longer making excuses when it comes to the things of the faith. Yes, Lent is following the example of the tax collector at the back of the temple looking down at the ground and praying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I have messed up. My life is a mess apart from you, and I need you. So on Ash Wednesday, we receive the ashes on our forehead, and as we do that, we remember that the wages of sin is death, and that we've all been marked for death, like every other human being on the face of our planet because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, his sacrifice, his taking the penalty for our sins, is taking that sin literally on himself and paying the price, forgiveness is available to everyone who will receive it. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of any hypocrisy or duplicity or laziness. The question we ask ourselves tonight is not, am I as good as my neighbor? That gets us into the upward and downward comparisons. No, the question is, how do I measure up by God's standards? So let's begin the Lenten journey by allowing God to confront us with the truth of who we are and the seriousness of our sins. Will you pray with me as we begin? Father, would you help us tonight to get our hearts back in the right place? Centuries ago, David wrote, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to search our hearts, to show us what treasures, what attitudes, what behaviors, what priorities we've been holding that are closing us off from you that are keeping us from being the people you created us to be. And so as as we come and sing now, search us, Lord. Search our hearts. Reveal to us what you would have us know. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.